Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Old Testament book of Obadiah. Obadiah. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It was written sometime right after Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. And it's the only book that was written exclusively to or about a foreign country. Now, we don't know much about Obadiah. This is the only time that this Obadiah is mentioned in the Old Testament. But what we do know is that Obadiah means one who serves Jehovah. Obadiah was aware of world events. He understood nations, and God gave to him a prophecy concerning a nation. Now, you may not think that that's very important, But I want you to know that Obadiah is included in the canon of Scripture, and God did give it to us for a reason. And the whole book deals with the pride that a nation had because they thought they were above God's rules in their lives and God's judgment upon that nation. Obadiah ends in verse 21 and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. I want you to underline that in your mind as we go through our study this morning. Because we're going to talk about pride. And we're going to talk about how this nation specifically lifted itself up and said, I'm above, I am going to be somebody, I am going to be something, and God says, no, you're not. We need to recognize that it's all about God and not about us. It's all about God and not about us. Obadiah begins by saying the vision of Obadiah. Obadiah 1.1. And so we recognize that God has given to Obadiah an understanding about something, and it's his vision. And we read very quickly after that, thus says the Lord concerning Edom. This is a vision about a country, a nation, called Edom. Now, I want to give you an outline of Obadiah as we begin this morning. It's an outline that comes from the acrostic Bible. I have this book in my in my library. I don't use it very often, but if you want to know what Obadiah is all about, you start here with this outline. It begins with an understanding that recognizing that Edom is doomed. The sins of Edom are enumerated in this book, and the accountability of nations is understood. But there will be ultimate rec- restoration because the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Now, I told Pastor John that I was going to be preaching about Obadiah, and he said, Obad-Edom. If you want to remember Obadiah, remember it, Obad-Edom. Now, Pastor John said that is not his concoction. If you've ever walked through the Bible and done that program, you get to Obadiah and you remember Obad-Edom. Now, it's important for us to understand who Edom was or who Esau was. As you look at the Old Testament, you start with Abraham. And Abraham had two sons. 
One son was the promised son. That was Isaac. The other son, Ishmael, was not the promised son. Isaac had two sons. One was Esau, and the other was Jacob. Jacob was the son of promise. Esau was not the son of promise. From Esau came Edom. I guess from Jacob came Israel too, right? From Jacob came Israel. You remember God changed his name. Your name shall be called Israel. And from Esau came Edom, and Edom means red. You remember when Jacob and Esau were born, they were twins? And you remember that Esau was hairy, and he was red hairy. And so Edom, this nation, comes from Esau. Now I want to show you where it is on a map. Down here in the left-hand bottom, you see the kingdom of Edom. And you see how Judah was surrounded by Edom and Moab and Ammon and Amram and Damascus. And Edom is, is down here. Now, there are a couple of things you need to know about Edom. First of all, Edom became a powerful nation. You find that in Genesis chapter 36. And in Numbers chapter 70, when Israel was going to the promised land, they asked Edom's permission to go through their land to get to the king, to the land that God had promised to them. And Edom refused. And so they had to go around and end up in Moab and cross there by Jericho. As you get down to Obadiah, you discover that God is going to make Edom small, verse 2. And Edom is going to shrink from their importance and God is going to reduce them into a little bitty nation that just didn't mean much. And it's all because, back up one, Brenda, please. It's all because they were a powerful nation and thought they were more powerful than God. Now, there's a, there's a little bit of a of an understanding. Look down here at the bottom of the map underneath Kingdom of Edom. You see that star there? That is their capital city, Petra. Do you remember what Petra means? Jesus said to Peter, thou art Petra, a rock. And as you read Obadiah, you discover that they thought they were somebody because they were dwelling in the cliffs and lofty places of Petra. But God was going to reduce them. And why was he going to reduce them? Look with me at verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? The pride of your heart has deceived you. Who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? You know, that's the problem with pride. Many say in their heart, 
I'm above all. Some say in their heart, I'm above God. But the reality is, God was going to destroy them. And if you look at verse eight of, 18 of Obadiah, you find this. There shall be no survivor for the houses of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The Lord shall bring them down. The theme of, East, of Obadiah is this. Pride is destructive and leads to devastation. Pride is devastating and leads to destruction. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this topic of pride. Kind of picked it out of Obadiah. Because it's an issue I think we all deal with at one point in time in all of our lives. And what I want us to understand is that pride in a very special way can affect us. Now if you look at New Testament scripture, in 1 Timothy we read this. The love of money is the root of all evil. Judaism in the Old Testament would say that pride is the root of all evil. In fact, it's identified many times in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. In chapter 11, Solomon writes, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 14, 3 says, In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. And then in Proverbs chapter 6, we read, There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, pride. Lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deceives wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. False witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. That all started with pride. And so as we recognize the pride of our hearts has deceived us, we need to examine our own lives and ask ourselves, is there any pride that God needs to deal with in our own hearts? So let's look at pride this morning. And let's see the qualities of pride and perhaps we'll be able to then identify in our own lives some of the challenges that we have. As we look at pride, we find, first of all, that pride can be deceptive. Are you still in Obadiah? Verse 3 says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. We won't take time, but we could look back to Isaiah chapter 14. There's an angel there, a special angel, called the son of the morning, Lucifer. And you remember what Lucifer said? He said, in my heart, I am going to be like the most high God. How'd that work out for him? We can go back to Genesis chapter 3. There we discover that Lucifer is now in the garden. And more deceptive than any beast of the field. God had clearly said to Adam and to Eve, don't eat of the tree. 
For in the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Now, what don't you understand about that? The serpent, who was more deceptive than any other beast of the field, comes to Eve and says, Hey, you won't really die. But let me tell you what will happen. In the day that you eat of that, you're going to be like a god, knowing good and evil. How'd that work out for him? Pride is deceptive. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Pride is deceptive. But not only is pride deceptive, pride results in violence. Jump down to verse 10 of Obadiah chapter 1, will you please? God says, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. Now you remember Jacob and Esau, don't you? There was some jealousy going on there. Jacob's daddy, Isaac, loved Esau. Jacob's mommy, Rebecca, loved Jacob. And there were two events that took place. You'll remember them. Esau was out hunting one day, and he came in famished. And Jacob had a bowl of pottage, right? And Esau says, man, if I don't get something to eat, I'm just going to die. And what good am am I if I die? Hey, Jacob, how about giving me that bowl of soup And I'll give you my birthright. Because if I got my birthright and I'm dead, it doesn't mean anything. So Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup. The other event that took place was that their daddy Isaac was about ready to die. And the tradition was that when you're about ready to die, you call the boys in and you put a blessing upon them. And the tradition was that the firstborn would receive the greatest blessing. So Isaac calls Esau in and says, I want to give you a blessing, but I want you to do something for me first. I want you to go out, and I want you to hunt, and I want you to bring in my favorite dish, and I want you to fix it for me, and then I'm going to give you my blessing. Well, Rebecca heard that. And while Esau's out hunting, Rebecca takes a goat, and prepares it just the way Isaac likes it and gives it to Jacob and says, take this in and he'll thank your Esau and give you the blessing. You remember that wasn't the whole account because I told you that Esau was hairy. And so Rebecca says, here, put on these skins so that when you go in and your daddy seems to want to know who you are, he'll feel these skins and he'll thank your hairy and he'll thank your Esau. Jacob does that, and I think it interesting that Isaac says, that which I feel is is Esau, but that which I smell is Jacob. (laughs) 
But Isaac blessed Jacob. And then when Esau came in, Isaac said, I can't give you the same blessing because I've already given it away. And the scripture says that Esau hated Jacob. Pride brings violence into our lives. In fact, the reality is pride is selfishness on steroids. My way or the highway, it's all about me because I'm important. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to have it my way. There's another characteristic of pride, and it's this. Pride incites others. Verse 12 of Obadiah 1 says to Edom, do not gloat over the day of your brother. See, pride says, I'm better than you are. I'm the one who is important. Proverbs 21 says, a proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. And pride incites others because it belittles others and pushes them into a corner. You know, pride can be evidenced in so many different ways in our lives. You'll never believe this, but the other day I was going home. I was headed south on M66, and on B Drive South, I turn right. The light went yellow, red, and I turned right. And there was a car coming across the intersection behind me, and they laid on their horn because they thought I cut in front of them. I know you don't believe it. But I thought, I didn't make them slow down. I didn't do anything to really get in their way. But they thought I should have stopped so they were free on the interse intersection. That's probably a lousy illustration. But how many times do we figuratively beep our horns at others? Because we say, it's my turn, I'm better than you are. You sit down and pay attention because you're bothering me. I think we need to understand that in all of our lives, a day of reckoning is coming. You know, the scripture says that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And on that judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be nobody else there but you and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to have to give an account. Not for what somebody else has done, but for what we have done in our own bodies, in our own worlds, in our own lives. For Edom, verse 15 says, the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. 
Aren't you thankful that Jesus is coming again? Do you believe he could come today? Now, the scripture says that no man knows the hour, not even the sun, when the sun's supposed to come back. And I don't know how all that works. I know it's not worth arguing about. Because God's going to do it his way. But the reality is, when that happens, and it could be today, I've got to stand before God, and I've got to give an account for me. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know if in a blink of an eye our whole lives are going to pass before us and we are going to see them from the vantage point of Jesus. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But somehow, some way, I am going to be reminded of all the times I put me first rather than Jesus first. And I know the day of that Lord is coming. But I also know that we have eternal hope in our God. We have eternal hope in our God. Now, those are the five qualities that I want us to understand about pride. But I want us to make some application this morning, all right? I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I want to start with verse 14. And these next two passages, this passage and the next one, I'm just going to read without comment. And we're going to let the scripture speak for itself. Are you there? Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Peter chapter 5. Turn there, please. 1 Peter chapter 5. Are you there? 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 6, humble yourselves, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
to him be dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, So what is the antidote for pride? There are two of them. The first one is this. We need to get our eyes off ourselves and focus on someone else. We need to get our eyes off ourselves and focus on someone else. In the book of Revelation, there are Seven letters written to seven churches. And they are written by the Son of God who walks among these churches and observes them. Some have taken these churches and identified different eras through church history. But I think as we identify these churches, we recognize that each of these churches was examined by the Son of God. And the people of these churches were noted for their body dynamics before God. Revelation chapter 3, will you please? It's the last church that is mentioned in chapters 2 and 3. The church is known as Laodicea. And the condemnation of this church is found in verse 15. Revelation 3, verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now stop right there, please. Look up here. The church at Laodicea had become a complacent church. They weren't involved in any specific ministry. They weren't involved in any specific focus. They only recognized that they themselves had it together. You say, how do you get that? Verse 17. For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Now stop right there. What's that remind you of? Remember what Satan said? I'm rich. I'm somebody. I'm going to be like God. We got it together. We don't need anything. Look who we are. But what does Scripture identify? You're wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. The reality is, you're not what you think you are. Because you have your eyes on yourself instead of the one who is the Lord of all. God help us. Not to become complacent and lukewarm. 
because that is pride in our lives and in our ministry. And it happens when we think we're somebody not recognizing we are absolutely nothing. That's a sad state. Oh, may that not be part of Calvary Baptist Church. The second antidote is this. We need to love someone bigger than ourselves. Not only get our eyes off ourselves and onto someone else, we need to love someone who's bigger than ourselves. Will you look with me very quickly at the church of Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2? Verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Wow. I got to tell you, Connie and I, after 45 years of marriage, love each other more today than we ever have. Ken and Pat, after 70 years of marriage, Ed, Joanne, 51 years of marriage, Ev, 50 years of marriage, Connie and I are more in love today than we've ever been. Now, our love is different than it once was, but it's deeper. How's your love for Jesus today? Is it stronger than it's ever been? Is it deeper than, it's different because God has used things in your life to mature you and to grow you. That's progressive sanctification. And to develop in you the, the character of his son. The problem in Ephesus was they lost it. They quit focusing on their love. And they started loving themselves rather than loving someone else. And once you start loving yourself... There's not enough room to love somebody else. Can I repeat that? Because that's important. Once you start loving yourself, there's not a ro enough room to love somebody else. And they lost their first love. Verse 5. Remember, therefore... Remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Oh, wow. Pretty severe consequence, isn't it? That was Ephesus. And so you have Laodicea that was neither hot nor cold. They were just complacent. You have Ephesus that lost its first love. And you have Edom and Obadiah that was judged because of their pride. Oh, God, help us. Help us as individuals and help us as an assembled body of believers. Not to lose our first love. 
Help us not to think that we are something when we are nothing because it's all about who he is. Now, I don't know if you read Obadiah before you got here this morning, but you probably didn't figure this was where we were going. But it's important, isn't it? For us to understand that the whole focus of our lives is Jesus. It's not about who we are or what we have done. It's about what he has accomplished and the place he deserves in 